You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. It's a new year. When I was a little kid, I never thought that this year would exist. In my cartoon mind, I kind of thought it was over in the other century. <laughs> so here we are, 22 years into the next millennium. Millennium, and it's just like, uh, wow, uh, it's incredible. I don't know if you play that game. I do, the numbers game. I sometimes think about, you know, uh, just the uh, how many years from Adam to Abraham, how many years from Abraham to, to uh, the Lord Jesus, really to, really to the King, King David's time, then to the Lord Jesus' time, and now to this time, and we're, uh, we're just about racked up all the years, I think, that are going to be involved in heading us into the end days. That's just how I think. And as I kind of read and study and watch the world uh, more and more convinced that we are in the last days, hence why I wanted to share with you this uh, series of being steadfast in these days because uh, time is r running short, so being ready is a big thing for me and for my own life. And uh, I'm going to jump us into Matthew chapter 1 today to uh, wrap this series up. And uh, we've been focusing on Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and today I want to just uh, use the thoughts that were given to uh, uh, Joseph as a springboard to launch us into three truths that I think are extremely important for us to uh, understand and operate in our own lives. And so let's uh, take a look at that this morning. I'm going to read just starting at verse 18. But really, let me start at verse 16. I want to just work into this. Looking at the uh, sort of the uh, end of the lineage of, of uh, Joseph, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to until the captivity in Babylon were 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, 
Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took, in, took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So in this uh, story, which we've already covered in much detail, I wanted to just focus on this young husband uh, because uh, in his life, this was a moment in his life that was completely unexpected for him. And this is God intervening and calling him to a role, uh, which in many ways, those of us who get married, that should be a part of our role, which is to take care of our families, to be watch guards over our families, to care about our homes, uh, to uh, stand our ground for truth and for faith. Uh, to be an example in our homes and to make sure that our homes hopefully follow that path. So he's called here to be a watchguard and provider over Mary, which he was already thinking, I'm sure. But now he's being called to be a watchguard and a pro provider over the, the baby Jesus. And he's just heard this description of what's going to happen. And you can't imagine, I can't imagine the enormous sense of responsibility that suddenly just fell on him. It's one thing to have a wife. It's another thing to now be uh, the caregiver, if you will, over the Son of God. I mean, that, that had to have just sent shutters down his back from just thinking about this. And so on this day and in this moment, Joseph's faith and his integrity and his character are going to undergo a serious testing ground. And what I want to just remind all of us is that somehow God chose this moment and chose this couple and chose this man to be the one in the story. And it goes to the point, again, that just maybe just being ready, not for this, he didn't know about this, but being a vessel that's ready when God calls you to do something is so important for us to understand. And so anyway, he sets the pace for us today as we look at this story. Uh, we know by the first century, it was not as common, but it was still a fact that on the laws that if a betrothed wife was unfaithful uh, to a, a husband or husband-to-be, uh, especially if there was a sexual relationship that was proven, uh, she could be stoned. That was the recommendation from the law. But So we read here that Joseph's character uh, kicked into gear here in a sense because he's not wanting to make a public spectacle of her. Uh, so he's going to try and hide her, tuck her away, and maybe secretly take care of her. What's kind of humorous about that is that Nazareth was a small village. Uh, probably everyone in Nazareth knew each other. When she came back from being with Elizabeth, she was three months pregnant. Uh, so the story is complicated, and hiding her away is probably not going to work. But he's at least thinking these kinds of thoughts. And then in verse 20, an angel of the Lord appears to him while he's thinking these thoughts. And uh, I, I just, I don't know, I just felt like pausing here just for a moment because modern day dreams are something that we all have. We don't think much about dreams having significant meanings. <laughs> but they can sometimes do that. Uh, but I'm just thinking about dreams because Mandy and I were chuckling about two dreams we had last night. I will not share them with you, but they were silly. Sometimes dreams are just goofy, aren't they? 
I mean, I have flown across the ocean. I have piloted airplanes. I, I, I honestly think I could go to the place over here in, in New Philly, get in a little Piper Cub plane or something. I think I actually could fly it because I've flown so many in my dreams. I'm serious, but don't ask me to be your pilot. That would be a sad day. But I have uh, done that. Uh, have you ever uh, been lost in your dreams and you just can't find point A to point B? You're just lost and you wake up frustrated. Uh, we have these crazy dreams. Uh, wandering around. I have this one dream where I'm wandering around. I know exactly where I'm at. I won't tell you, but I'm wandering around. And I never get to where I think I'm supposed to go. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I have that dream every so often. I, I always want to know, God, what are you trying to say to me? But I don't think there's anything spiritual in that dream. I hope there isn't, because I've missed the point. Uh, so we all have these things. Playing a sport that, that's common to you. I play a lot of basketball in my dreams, because I play basketball normally. But uh, I don't play cricket. I don't know a thing about cricket. I've never had a dream about cricket. I don't want to. I don't know a thing about cricket. I think it's crazy. Uh, but I understand other sports, so sometimes those dreams happen. But Joseph had a dream. And, and, and again, when you talk to people who are from Egypt or from the Mideast, uh, it's not unusual to hear people tell you about dreams that they take very seriously as opposed to how we operate. So uh, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here except to say this, that I do know that in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, you don't need to turn, but you can mark it down. But in Joel 2, 28, we're told that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, sorry, I already read that. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Uh, so someone somewhere, I think, is going to have a dream or a vision from God. That may happen. But those of us who hold God's word in our hands, I think we're the least likely to have those kinds of visions and dreams. Just want to say we have the whole word of God. But there are too many uh, reports that you hear of people, especially in Muslim countries who are having uh, dreams about Jesus, yet they have no knowledge of the gospel. They have no Christian witness, but they're having dreams that's causing them to make drastic decisions, sometimes life-changing decisions, life-threatening decisions, because they're dreaming about the one they say is the one, that, the one true God. And that's kind of interesting. Uh, John Shirley, I heard today, Joel is, but Jacques, in Jacques' testimony, uh, uh, when I first heard it, I thought, wow, uh, he was sitting on a tractor. He had no missionary. He had no Bible. Uh, but on a tractor, he had a sense that he was being spoken to by the Lord. And he, uh, that led him to, uh, down the path to finding Christ as his Savior. So who knows how God works in other people's lives. But he has spoken here in this vision, in this dream. And it was a life-impacting message. How do I know that Joseph could take it so serious is what he said in the dream. So if you'll notice what he says here, he, uh, uh, while he's thinking about these things in verse 20, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. And even that uh, introduction in a dream was enough to tell Joseph, okay, there's something going on here. Uh, I mean, he had to have taken that as a challenge because hearing that would have been very interesting for him. Uh, when you think about it, 12 generations had gone by uh, since there had been a king in, in Jerusalem. 
And as we said last week, the, the, uh, the, the line of Jeconiah following uh, the, in the line of Solomon was cursed by, uh, by God that it would never have a king sit in that line. So even when he hears this, he hadn't been thinking about this because it was so shut down by God, it just wasn't in anyone's mind. And suddenly he's being reminded uh, this is his background. These are his roots. Joseph, son of David. And it would have been a sort of a, a shaking thought in his mind, even if he's sleeping, that he would hear this and think this as the angel is speaking to him. God's covenantal promise of a Messiah coming through the line of David was in the process of being answered. And, and even as God uh, makes this statement through the angel, and it's not the fact that Joseph himself is going to sit on the throne because he's not. And certainly he probably would be reminded about the curse that he's under. But again, it just would have set his mind going about, uh, about their lives. That's why I said when he and Mary were on that journey to, uh, to go to Bethlehem, I'm sure they talked about these things and what the angels said. And I'm sure that Mary would have reminded Joseph, you know, I'm also from the line of David. And as they had that talk and... Uh, I'm not from Solomon's line, I'm from Nathan's line, the third son of, uh, uh, of uh, David. And uh, as she's reminding him of that, this would have brought all those truths to light. But God wanted to remind Joseph of who he was uh, for, I think, some specific reasons. And, uh, and, it, and it shouldn't be any surprise, uh, I want to say, to Joseph, but I want to just remind us today that it shouldn't be any surprise to us sitting here today, if things start happening that remind you of things you've read in the Bible about last days. Boy, it's quiet. I, I just want to say to you, you should not be shocked when you start seeing things. So I know that uh, people are jumping on all kinds of stuff and they're making things up and no, the vaccine is not the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the mark of the beast. No, those things are not happening. So we've got some crazy people out there saying some really crazy things. But on the other hand, uh, when I hear secular people and even some Christians crying global effect and climate change and all these things, I, I just kind of come back and say, uh, God made promises, first of all, in his word that he wasn't going to destroy the earth until he's done with everything. So, I mean, we don't have to worry about the earth being destroyed and resources and surplus and all those things. I don't think are a big issue for us as Christians to be worrying about. Uh, I, I do know that if God is the one in charge, he has made some statements about what he's going to do and what he's going to do. And you and I need to realize that. But he did give us some signs of things that we should look for on the horizon that mark the end times. Are you with me? And we're starting to see things that just are not anymore what we called normal. Normal is out of my vocabulary. And it needs to be out of all of ours. Because it's never going to go back to what we thought it should be. Uh, things are changing. And so even as you raise your kids in a new world that's changing constantly, you have to be aware that we are in a time when we are going to be forced, and I'm, I, I told Bob this morning, I'm glad that we're living in a time when we're actually being wakened up to some things, and it's causing us to refocus on who we are in Christ. Don't you think? It's not a bad thing. I know COVID's taken some lives. It's taken some friends of mine. I'm, I'm aware of that. But it does remind us that we need to wake up. And here's God really stirring 
stirring the mind of Joseph to actually, I think, cause him to wake up and realize what's going on. So that that statement, Joseph, son of David, is really something that's uh, going to shake his world up. He's reminding him of who he really is. Now, you know, Joseph could come back and argue because we just read in verse uh, uh, 15, 16. Uh, so Joseph is the son of uh, of, of Jacob. Uh, that That's who his father was. Yeah, but. He's from this lineage of David, and he's being reminded of that. And uh, God wants him to sort of sit up and take notice. It's time. Uh, Isaiah 9, and, and perhaps he, most Jewish men would have known this text, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1, a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And there would have been these... Uh, thoughts running through his own head about all these truths and then thinking about Mary, perhaps. But certainly what God is saying is my word that I've given you in the past is going to be fulfilled. A son is being given. I just told you about it. And you can just sort of sense the angel having said these things in his dream. But he may be still caught up in the fact that this statement, Joseph, son of David, it's a wake up call. I, I want to just use this today to give us, I hope, three critical, important truths that you and I need in our life right now, going into this year. We need to have these things re-implemented into our life. We need to focus on these things and cause us to uh, just be sharpened in our own walk with Christ uh, with these three truths. And the first truth that we're looking at is this, which being said to to Joseph here, number one, is that God knows exactly who you are. This isn't just a story just for Joseph and Mary. Uh, this is a story that's given to us that we can look at, understand, recognize what's happening, and then uh, ask God through his spirit, what does this mean for me today? Because this happened 2,000 years ago. Does it have any impact on me now besides, besides the fact that Jesus came? And I want to just remind us that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So God is working in our lives in very unique ways, all of us. And we're told that in the scriptures, and we need to be reminded. So let me take you to some places. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to go with me for a moment just to remind us of where we are in the story of our relationship with Christ. Because I think today he wants to remind you and I who we are. And perhaps do a wake-up call in our own hearts. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, we know that there are some great truths here that we uh, read oftentimes. That for by grace we are saved through faith. That's, you know, verses 8 and 9. Uh, and that you're, and you're not of yourselves. This faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the first thing that I'm reminded of here is that God has designed you and I. This is written to all believers. He has designed us. He's built into us his workmanship, his craftsmanship, if you will, for good works. He wants you to be doing something that's good, uh, which God prepared beforehand, that is before he created you, that we would walk in those good works. So God's done something with your life before you even came along. And he's working ahead of you to have you sort of fall in line as you follow him to his will and his 
his uh, desire for what he wants to do in your life. Joseph, I'm calling you. I'm waking you up. You're going to be doing something here. You're going to serve me. Uh, I'm doing some. Uh, I'm doing what I promised, and I'm stirring you up for this to realize who you are and to take your stand and be what you're supposed to be in Christ. Well, this is the same thing Paul writes to us believers. Uh, verses 11 through 13, we're reminded here. Therefore, remember that you once were Gentiles in the flesh. Uh, you know, that's where you came from, not knowing Christ is what he's saying. At verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's just reminding us, I've brought you out from where you were. I've ch I'm changing your life. I've given you new hope in life, and, and I'm setting you on a course. And uh, when he gets to verse uh, 17, 18, uh, especially coming into verse 19, he's just talking about the fact, look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you, who are, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Uh, it's just this reminder to us, do you understand, Saint, who you are? Do you understand uh, what I've done to bring you to where you're at? Uh, do you understand what I'm calling you to do and to be a part of? So God has called us out of, out of an unsaved situation. Uh, and so before I was saved, as I read in Psalm 139, before I was saved, God designed me. He designed you. He created us. He wove us together. It says in our inward parts. Uh, so he knew you before you were formed. That's all Psalm 139. But at salvation, he indwelt you and he indwelt me with his Holy Spirit. Uh, he empowered us uh, with that wonderful gift of the Spirit. Uh, and so what's happened is that he then uh, apportions to us spiritual gifts that he's given to us, that he wants us to learn what they are and to use them uh, on, on his behalf and for his glory. Over in Romans 12, if I can just read a verse to you about this, because... Sometimes we wonder about spiritual gifts and we wonder who has what and how much and all of that. But just if you read Romans 12, starting at verse 3, you'll see here, he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, then he goes on to say, let us use them. Uh, there, there's certainly something that stands out here is that not everyone has the same gifts and not everyone has the same amount of gifts. And uh, when we read here, it's a, a portion according to our faith. Then obviously then God, as he works in us, we're all uniquely different. We're all skilled for something unique in the body of Christ. Some folks go through their life and never find this out. And I'm going to say it's mostly not because it's a mystery. It's because we, we sort of just play it safe. We stay back. We don't volunteer for things. We don't really learn who we are. We don't find out what we have, what God's done in our life, what he wants to do in our life. And we just kind of play it safe. And so we never really learn uh, what God is, how he's designed us to function. I think there are some saints like that. 
And so we need to sort of uh, volunteer ourselves, step out and trust him and say, Lord, if you've created me and you've called me to do good things, you're working in my life, I want to trust you to learn what that is so I can fully serve you and function as a, uh, as a vessel that glorifies you uh, through my life. And I want your blessing on my life for that. And maybe some of you need to uh, say that prayer to the Lord today, tomorrow, and just say, Lord, I, I have held you off. I have, I have been afraid to volunteer. I've been afraid to sort of put myself out there because I didn't know what you would do with me. I was thinking a lot this week about Jack Cale uh, because of the news and everything. And when Jack and, and when they first came here, uh, he and Taylor were... Uh, of course, they already knew what their plan was, but they were kind of being quiet and kind of letting it out slowly. So some of you in their life group have heard the story, but it wasn't coming immediately. They wanted to be careful, just kind of not say it too loud, uh, really seeking God's will and wanting to meet with certain people, just pray through it. And so even then, it was, uh, there was a bit of uh, hesitancy and insecurity in just, okay, how God's called us. Has God really called us? We need to pray and verify that. And he would tell me, I want to make sure Taylor feels that same calling that I have. And uh, I want to clarify it and so on, just to be careful. And so over time, God has certainly done that. You can imagine getting to... Uh, uh, you know, going to Switzerland, taking your family, a surgeon who leaves here goes to Switzerland. You get into uh, language school. Your, your family's got to try and pull this off along with you. It's very tough for all of you to do this, do a French immersion thing. And then uh, go, eventually the, they go to Togo, which they just arrived last week. And you've read that, I'm sure, on Facebook, many of you. Uh, to uh, understand that uh, the crate that we packed in the back here uh, got there before they did. Uh, folks, that's an absolute miracle. You, un you understand that some of the stuff you've ordered hasn't even come in yet. And they got that crate packed and got that thing shipped and it got to Togo. It's amazing. And the fact that they, got it, they were uh, able to take it to the village and then they could uh, obviously begin to unpack it. So there was much celebration on that day, just a few days ago. There was much celebration. We're all praising God for answered prayers. And then the next day, you hear Jack's had an accident. And he's punctured his arm and we need to pray and it's swelling. And, and uh, the way he was describing it, his first, uh, first uh, communication made it sound like he might lose his life over this. I mean, we were just, you know, really all of us were praying about this. Now, you, you need to know he's really doing well today. And we give God praise for that. But this is all part of that. And, and one of the things he said, I think it was two or three emails back, but one of the things he said was, that uh, as they're praying for healing was that they can somehow figure out, you know, what God wants to do with this and how he wants to use this in their life and in their ministry. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, we, we, that'll be curious to see how all this is going to fit into their lives and how this is going to flesh itself out. But we praise God for it. But at salvation, you and I have this blessing of the spirit of God in our lives working. Uh, there are some of you today sitting here that I just want to say that I think that maybe you need a wake-up call. I think you need a stirring from the Holy Spirit to wake you up and call your name out and remind you that the Spirit of God is in your life. And I think sometimes God lets us go on sort of a journey. Sometimes he'll let us drift away. Sometimes he allows us to make bad decisions, as I said last time. Sometimes he, uh, and I don't understand why he does that, but he allows that in his will 
But he doesn't let us go for long until he calls us back to himself. And unless you're absolutely, uh, you know, adamantly resisting him in some way, uh, he's calling perhaps even today, calling you back to hear him and to say, here I am, Lord, I'm, I'm your servant. And uh, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And I'm willing to do it. And some of you maybe are waiting for that sort of voice to call you out. And I'm just going to say he doesn't necessarily use a megaphone, but he wants to call you back to a place where you understand who you are. Sometimes it's the word of God that does that. And he may be calling out to you today. And I trust that he is. The other thing is that somebody here today still may not know the Lord in a personal way. And I want to say to you that what I'm saying today is still true for you. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know that he still knows you. And sometimes that's something that's just not in our vocabulary. He knows me. Yes, he knows you. And he knows you enough that he wants you to hear this today and he wants you to respond. And if nothing else, let us introduce you to the one who knows you, even if you don't know him. He knows you. The second thing I want to say is, again, it's still in verse 20 going into 21 of our text. And the second thing is this. God is in control of your circumstances, whether you think so or not. God is in control of your, of your circumstances. Uh, notice that it, it says at the end of verse 20, uh, again, as we read this, this dream, Joseph, son of David, uh, do not be afraid to take you to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. There's this sense of details in this dream, and the details are those given by the one who's saying, basically, I know what is happening. I'm the one in control of this. I'm calling you to this. Uh, and one of the things that he hears is unique uh, as, as you consider what's being said here by the angel. You know, both Mary and Joseph heard the angel say uh, in their dreams uh, that uh, she would be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Good. Both Mary and Joseph heard that he should be called Jesus. But only Joseph heard what Jesus was going to do. Jesus is going to save your people from their sins. And he's the only one allowed to hear that, which I thought was very curious. And that's why sometimes that in the story as it unfolds, so many thought that Jesus was coming to, to sort of sit on David's throne and be king supreme and, and uh, you know, conquer Rome and conquer uh, the legalism of the day and, and set people free. And that's what they had their minds on, that he was the Messiah to do that. Joseph, who's, who leaves the story after Egypt, jo Joseph, who disappears, we don't know when he actually dies. Uh, he, he, we know he's around until Jesus is the age of 12. We, we see that part of the story, and then that's about it. The rest of the story, there's no Joseph. I don't know when he passed away. We don't have those details. But what I think is interesting is that God allowed the one who had been under the curse that he could not be a king in Israel who would not fulfill that part of the prophecy, but God allows him to learn that he's going to be the caretaker, caregiver, uh, provider over the one who is going to forgive his sin also. I don't know if you can catch that today. You talk about responsibility. 
okay, uh, a baby's going to be born, it's the Son of God, that's, that's, that's fantastic, but he's going to forgive people of their sins. That's why he's coming. And Joseph, I want you to know that so you understand something. I, I think that Joseph is probably a guy who recognized in that moment when he heard that, how God was calling him to be an example, can you imagine, to the very son who would be raised in his home, the son of God. Joseph's uh, recognizing the call in his life is so critically important that he's going to try to walk the walk of a holy man uh, and raise the son of God in his presence and be the kind of father that Jesus could actually look up to. You just got to pause and think about that. And maybe God took his life early because God knew no human being could pull that off. I don't know. But it says a lot to me, uh, if you don't mind, about understanding this high calling for Joseph. And the point in this for you and me is kind of clear to me. No matter what you might be facing in your life, we either believe God is fully engaged in our lives or we don't believe it. It's not partial. It's not he's here one minute and not the next. He's either with you or he's not. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In Acts 17, verse 28, uh, for in him we live and move and have our being. God is so fully engaged in our lives. Our circumstances are not out of his control. Our circumstances are also not independent from his will. So that means that Jesus knows beforehand what is coming into your life. We can sit and look at our lives and say, what a mess, or I don't get it, or this isn't working, or this, this feels terrible, or I don't see any future. We have all kinds of sort of fleshly, humanly responses to life around us. And here's the Lord who's calling us and I believe wanting us to understand that he's actually in control of our lives. He's not, he's not ordering all the little blueprint steps of our mistakes. He allows us to do our own thing. He never forces us to follow him. But he knows what we're doing. And he knows if, he's, if his hand's on your life, he's going to meet you and call you and draw you to himself. That's something I do believe. You remember uh, in Acts 16, you don't have to go there, I'm going to remind you, in Acts 16, when Paul was having a dream, and you remember the dream he had, a man from Macedonia calls to Paul in a dream and says, come over here, because they didn't know where to go. They weren't sure what to do. And as that voice is directing, he wakes up and says, I know what we need to do. We need to go to Macedonia. Affirming that that was God's direction. But who would have known that God was calling them to the city of Philippi, as we understand that story? Lydia gets saved, and a, a house becomes the first church in Philippi. That's fantastic. But then, you know, just in just a moment's time, a girl comes by, and she's demon-possessed, and Paul wants to do a good thing for her. He casts that demon out, and they are wound up being punished, beaten with rods, thrown in prison, locked into the inner prison, in the dark, in chains. Oh, is that what God is calling us to? Is that what it means to follow God uh, and trust him explicitly with our lives? 
Lord, you have complete control of my life. And when we say that to him, do we have a part of us that just holds back just a little bit? Because we know some of these stories and we're saying, oh, Paul, he trusted Christ completely. And look what happened to him. And we know the end of the story. He gets out. We know that there are blessings from that. But still, who wants to go through that? And I want to remind us today that God does know the story. Yes, he knows the story of your life. There are heartaches in my life. The heartaches in my life are from my own stupid decisions. And God allowed me to make those decisions because he doesn't treat us like a puppet. But his grace is all along my life. And I can reach into that grace and call on him and say, Lord, please forgive me for being so independent, so self-willed. And he allows me to have a portion of that grace to heal and to restore and put us back on track. That's what he does. But he would rather we stay in that place of grace all of our lives rather than drift out and drift in and sort of do our own thing and get in trouble, right? So as we consider this idea that he's in control of our lives, and Joseph himself was going to face these testings, these crazy things that were going to happen to him, but God was calling him to trust. You just hear the voice of God saying to him, you know, that I know your circumstances, I know what, what you're going through, and it's okay. I'm calling you to do this. God did the most amazing thing. I still, to this day, will never understand it. That God, knowing ahead of time, he and his son, who left heaven's glory and became a human being, and the fact that Jesus Christ could grow up sinless and then become this gift of a sacrifice for us. And God knew this. The Father knew this. And this was all in the plan that he would give his son for this. But when you process what that meant, as Jesus did, when he knelt in that garden and said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass away. Jesus is looking forward to what he knew he had to go through. You and I don't know usually what we're going to go through, so we just have to trust God. But Jesus knew exactly what he was going to go through. And yet he could say that. And then he stepped into torture and brutality and the, the most heinous cruelty that men could come up with. And he gave himself for you and I, that we would have salvation and also that we would have blessing. That almost sounds ludicrous to me on some level. But I'm thankful. And the response from us knowing that should be, Lord, okay, I trust you no matter what. I'm willing to trust you no matter what comes my way because if you knew what you were calling your own son to do on my behalf, then I have to believe that you've called me and designed me, equipped me and called me for things that would be that which would please you, bring you glory and be the best thing for me in my own life. There's a, there's a woman, uh, her name is Mildred Dillon. She's in heaven. Mildred Dillon was a family friend. I met her as a young boy coming to my house. Uh, my parents and her and her husband were friends. Her and her husband ran the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. 
don't know if you've ever been there, but in the early days after the war, uh, they became the leaders of that mission and uh, uh, ran that mission for a long, long time uh, faithfully. Well, before she was married to her husband, she was the piano player at the Gospel Temple in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's the church where my dad, after the war, became the music director. It's a large, large church. And uh, as a single young lady, she was playing the piano. And I think it was 1937, as I recall, but uh, a tornado came through and hit the church. And above that gospel temple was a 50-foot high chimney, big, solid chimney. And that whole thing caved in, came through the roof, and landed on top of the piano and Mildred. She was buried took an hour for 30 men to try to uncover her. She came out with a broken back, most of her bones broken, and went into a hospital where she convalesced for, I don't know, a long time. So that took place. The next year, Mildred was on a ship going to Paris, France to serve uh, uh, in part of the military. And as she was going across the ocean, a huge wave almost capsized the ship. Uh, people were thrown all over the deck. She crawled into a cabin and uh, managed in that cabin to write a chorus, which became the most famous chorus in the church for years. Uh, and the chorus is Safe Am I. Now, many of you may not know it, but I was raised on it. And as she and my family were friends, I heard it a thousand times. But uh, it's a little course that she wrote called Safe Am I, Safe Am I in the Hollow of His Hand. Sheltered or, O-E-R, sheltered or in his love forevermore. No ill may harm me, no foe alarm me, for he keeps both day and night. Safe am I, safe am I in the hollow of his hand. Military men. Uh, sang that during World War II. My father sang that during World War II, which was motivating him when he got back to find her and uh, remind her of that, all that. And they became great friends uh, through her marriage and their ministry uh, near Chicago. Our church was close to Chicago, so we saw them often. I remember uh, that chorus as a little kid, it was just a chorus. But once I met her and heard the story, it's like, okay, that was a chorus. That was a, that was a chorus. But the point of the story is simple. You know, and I just want to share this with you today, that even if the roof is caving in on your life, and even if you feel like the waves are crashing down on your life and you are out of control completely, your God, your God is in control of your circumstances. You have to know that today. No matter how horrible things are, there are reasons. And he allows us, again, in our stubbornness, in our own sin to make decisions, but his grace is waiting to apply itself to you. And you may have pain or strife or sorrow, something going on in your life, and you feel like it might be the end. And I want to say to you, his plan is always, always for your ultimate good and his glory. And I hope that you can hear that today because Romans 8.28 either applies to you or it doesn't. It either works in your life or it doesn't. 
The third thing is this. God will always keep his word. Look at verse 22 and 23 of our text. It says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. God will always keep his word. I, I, I uh, had to remind myself, and I would call you to just think about this. It's just kind of neat because it's sort of tucked away, but it's in Hebrews 11, and it's verse 11 of chapter 11. Because it's not about Abraham. It's not about Noah. It's not about Moses. It's not about all the big guns. It's about Sarah. And what is said is so appropriate for this point because he says, by faith, Sarah herself, which is just even the, the writer who included that, wants us to know that even Sarah herself is included in God's great story. Not just to give birth to Isaac, but the whole process was important uh, for her own faith. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the big guy. Uh, it was me. I'm, she's over age. She's 90 plus. She's uh, way beyond in her mind uh, able to pull off what God's asking. But by faith, he's saying, she received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age and here it is. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. It's a very simple phrase, but it's such a deep phrase. Because she simply char uh, believed the, the charge to her, the, the, the whole uh, vision that's going to take place. She gave in and believed it. After we know we read about her being a little bit cynical and so on when it first came out, but obviously her own faith was challenged that the writer could say she believed God would keep his word. And, and so our story is all fact. We look back on it with great blessing. We thank the Lord for what he's done. Thank him for him coming as as he promised through a virgin that he would be God and man and, and could therefore be uh, the perfect sacrifice given for us. We, we see that in all in the story, but what is also in the story is that God is faithful to his word. And what God wants you and I to know in our generation, in this day as we look back, is the very same thing. He will always keep his word. And so when you read promises that have impact for you, you need to know those things are still going to happen as God has promised them. That's why uh, this, this series, I called it Living in a State of Readiness, because I have to honestly believe that his coming is near because he's said so, he's promised it, and I, have, I just happen to believe we're seeing signs of that. And so yet, I know that we're waiting, I'm waiting, and while I'm waiting, I need to be busy trusting God every day of my life, not looking uh, up constantly and not being any earthly good, so I need to have my focus on what I'm doing. But every day that passes... Every day that passes is grace for just another opportunity for someone, maybe around me, to hear the truth about Christ and get saved. There's purpose in our moments left here. And we're not to just be stargazers, but obviously I sense he's coming. But in that sense of that is, is a feeling as though time's running out for some folks. 
It's also another opportunity for me every day of my life to faithfully be one to exalt my Lord and please my Lord with my life. Dear Saint, do you hear this today? I don't want to be lulled to sleep by the world in a silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, blah, 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 blah. And we just fall asleep with that cozy, comfortable kind of thing when the world is a mess. And the world's in a mess because he's allowed it, because he's soon returning. And if the world wasn't in a mess, no one would be looking for his return at all. If the world was happy, 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 we, we wouldn't be thinking about Jesus, really. But he is coming. And it's getting uncomfortable. Uh, it's getting, it's, it's getting, it's, it's irritating sometimes. I mean, things are just crazy. And I find that my anger is quick triggered more than it used to be. And my, my patience is less patient. I don't know about yours, but I'm just less patient. I, I'm just finding that I, I, all these stresses that are around us, that we've got to look up and say, okay, Jesus, I know, I believe you're coming, and I need to be busy doing things that please you and glorify you. That's all I should be focusing on, really, and understanding the time is brief. So, again, I'm going to call you back to this last thing that I've been saying. On the last page of the last book of your Bible, where three times, verse 7, Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. In verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly. In verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. And he means for us to hear this and believe this and get busy doing the right things. So whatever comes tomorrow, uh, there may be a new, a new uh, part of the virus is going to come. We're going to call it Charlie or, I don't know, Harry or some, some new name is going to come out. And we're going to have to play that game again. It's just going to keep coming. There's going to be something new that you have to deal with. But if I know he's coming soon, and I believe that, and, and let me just say this for those who might still be a bit skeptical. If he's not coming soon to me, I am confident I'm going soon to him. So I don't lose. But for those of you who are not sure where you're at with Christ, I just want to say to you, time's running out. He made a promise to us. He's kept every promise he's ever made, kept it perfectly, and he's made promises to us, and he will keep those promises perfectly in his timing. And he's given us signs to look at, so we're not ignorant of the times and the seasons. And so we look and we watch and we realize this is a ticking clock. It's about to run out. I, I, I will confess, I have enough... Time to say one more confession. We watched the, uh, we watched the, the uh, New York thing uh, on New Year's Eve at midnight. It's just sillier every time I look at it. It's silly. It's silly. I want to say that to anybody watching on TV. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And, and I, there was a scant crowd compared to the, to the past. And, you know, when, when the news reports this week came out and said something about make sure you're there by 3.30 and make sure you bring your adult diapers because you're going to be in this crowd for, you know, blah, 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 because you can't leave. I just thought, 
Happy New Year. And I'm a, I'm a miserable mess. And I smell like a miserable mess. And the whole thing is just reeks of ridiculousness. If you were there, I'm sorry. And the world just you know, tries to put off this, pull off this facade that they're happy and they're out dancing and singing and yeah, everybody's celebrating and smooching and kissing on that one time of the year when you're not going to be on camera and this is great and they're all doing that. And I'm thinking, and we, we did a little of that, of course, we do it too because it's silly, but it's meaningless. And Jesus Christ came at 1201. It would have been perfect. Would have been perfect. And it says in our word, he's going to come when no one knows the season or the hour. No one's going to know when he comes. It's going to be very inconvenient when he shows up. I want to just remind us of that. So that we are then living our lives in a state of readiness. Because we don't know. But he's going to keep his promise. God always keeps his word. God is in control of your life and my life. Absolutely. And he knows exactly who you are and what you're going through, and he cares about you today. Do you hear that? Do you believe that? One day, it'll all be so clear. And until then, we'll trust him. Let's pray. Lord, as your word has spoken to us, we uh, commit our hearts. We thank you for giving us your truth. I thank you for being so faithful, so absolutely faithful, so so disprovable by your life that there's no doubt in my heart and mind about who you are, what you've done, and what you're yet going to do. And Lord, I ask that you'll do a powerful work in the lives of people here today who are trying to just find you in the midst of life. And I ask that you'll just reveal yourself in such a way that it's, it's clear and it's true and it's so... Uh, it releases us from such pressure when we realize how wonderful and how true you are. It gives us clarity and hope and renews us. It gives us a sense of, of the future and we realize it's all wrapped up in you. So I pray you'll help us to be ready in those moments when those days come. That we'll be Christian, steadfast and strong in our faith. And that those around us who <clears throat> rely on us and our testimony, who are looking to us to, to be what we say we are. May we be that for those who yet do not know you, that they'll see you and us and choose you before it's too late. I want to give you all the praise and glory for that, and thank you, Lord, for your word. And for these dear saints here today and those who do not know you, may you just work in our lives. We commit all these things to you now. Thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen.